0: You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, the Lord our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. may be seated. Good morning, Resurrection. Good morning. I want to welcome you to the worship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit this morning. I'm so glad all of you are here Please stick around afterwards, hang out. We love to, uh, to do community life here at Resurrection. So please uh, come have some of that awesome coffee that's out there and, uh, and hang out with us. Let us get to know you a little bit. Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Peace and Quiet, where we're studying, we're looking at First uh, and Second Timothy, where Paul is pressing the young Timothy to live a life that's so steeped in the story of the gospel and in its power and its beauty that he is able to proclaim it and live it, even where it's against the grain, even where it contradicts the prevailing narrative and practices of his culture. Last week, Father Sean opened the Word of God according to 1 Timothy to us and showed us once more, as we've seen several times over this past year, um, the gospel's upside-down approach to wealth. According to Scripture, it's the unholy trinity of sex, money, and power that consistently threaten the allegiance of our hearts, of our affections to the gospel and to the kingdom of God. And so Paul gives this decisive, come at me, bro, to money last week, right? He says, it's, it's the love of money that is the root of all evils. It's a snare upon our hearts. So Father Sean, last week, he said, it's a place, I love this language, he said, it's a place in our lives where we are most likely to be unbaptized. A place where we have failed to drown the old Adam in us, and therefore we have also failed to be raised to new life in Jesus Christ. So there's freedom, there's freedom in letting go of our grip of our money, and and using it for kingdom purposes. That's That's what Sean took us through last week, But Father Sean took us through last week. So last week, Paul was saying, hey, Timothy, here are the dangers. Resist them. This week, the question is more for us. How do we resist them? What are the means by which we can resist them? What are the means that have been given to us by the Holy Spirit to resist them? So I want to start this morning with a story that might seem somewhat unrelated, but just be patient with me and I promise I'll connect it up. The fathers of the church used to say that the world had entered its old age. Through sin and corruption, the world has exhausted itself. Its light is going out, its hope is dimming. But they went on to say that the church is the vanguard. It's the front line of a world newly born, which will become fully visible, fully present in the resurrection of all things in Jesus Christ. We have sinned and we have grown old. The great G.K. Chesterton once said, But united by faith and baptism to Jesus Christ, we are a newly born divine organism. We are repenting, and we're growing young. This is why, my friends, that aging in Christ and death in Christ are qualitatively different than worldly death. They are so different from one another, in fact, that Paul refuses to call them by the same name. What does he say? Do you remember how he describes those who have died in Christ? What does he say about them? Do you remember? They've fallen asleep, right? They've fallen asleep. Why does he say that? It's It's an interesting metaphor that he uses to describe death. Because death holds no terror for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Aging holds no terror for those who belong to Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us over and over again, to revere the elderly who belong to Jesus Christ, to express gratitude, to learn from them because they are wise, because they have been walking the path of discipleship with Jesus Christ for longer than you have. Listen to what Psalm 92 says. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. We live in a culture that is profoundly obsessed with the freshness of youth. But it's not really. It's only superficially. It's only superficially and outwardly obsessed with youth. We know and many of us have experienced how those who have grown old walking the path of discipleship with Jesus have really grown young. Their minds and their hearts have been reshaped and refashioned and renewed and regenerated. And they can speak life and love to everyone they encounter. They bring life and flourishing and newness wherever they go. For all the frailty of their elderly bodies, what Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote is true of them. For all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with awe, ah, bright wings. So this observation, right? It's, it's profound. It's beautiful that we can grow young by repentance in Jesus Christ. How does it connect with the passage that we're discussing in Timothy today? Here's how it connects. Paul commends the sincere faith of Timothy, Right? He says, I have noticed and I believe that you have a sincere faith. Where did it come from? Did the Holy Spirit come like a bolt out of the blue and strike him with his faith? No. The soil was prepared. The ground was prepared by a godly lineage that brought him up and nurtured him in that faith. He says in verse 5 that the faith that Timothy possesses dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. I want you to think about this for a second. Eunice and Lois were faithful Jews. They held on to the doctrines of their faith. They held on to the practices of their faith and they transmitted it to Timothy. But they were just people living in a small town called Lystra. They are not world historical figures bestriding the stage of history like a Napoleon or, or someone like that, right? And yet, their names are recorded for all of posterity here in the scriptures that we're reading this morning. Their faithfulness is an example to us and to everyone who has ever read the the epistle to 2 Timothy. As a matter of fact, their names have been bequeathed to other people throughout the whole history of Christianity. Women have been named Eunice and Lois for as long as there have been Christians. And why is that? Because there is a legacy here of faithfulness that has been transmitted, not only to Timothy, but to all of us. Isn't that remarkable? So Eunice and Lois, they were both faithful Jews. They were preserving the hope of Israel, its laws, its practices, until the coming of the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, the soil was well prepared in them so that they could recognize him. They recognized him, and they put their faith, their trust in him. They became believers, which we know from Acts 16.1, which tells us that Eunice was a Jew, but also a believer. She was one following the way. It's not totally clear to us, who, who are living at such a far removed from this history, how they became followers of Jesus. It's actually not even clear to us how they sustained their faith uh, in, in the, the God of Israel. Because the town they were from, Lystra, we know actually there was no synagogue there. But they did preserve it. They preserved it by their own energies. We know that they did because 2 Timothy 3.15 says that from infancy... Timothy has known the Holy Scriptures, the Torah, which make wise unto salvation everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. So the faith that Timothy has in the Messiah, Jesus, is testimony to the power of this godly lineage that he comes from. As you see, the soil for Timothy's faith in the Messiah was prepared by the faith of his elders, of both Eunice and Lois, his mother and his grandmother, by his close attention to the ways in which these women of God modeled the faith for him. Eunice and Lois, by growing young themselves by faith and repentance, were able to transmit this faith to Timothy by their example and by their teaching. So I want to address all the kids in the room for a second. Hey kids, listen up. Listen up. I'm talking to you right now. If you're here at resurrection, very likely... It is because someone who loves you has brought you here so that you might become acquainted with the scriptures and the power of God. Take advantage of the fact that you belong to this church where the scriptures every week are read and preached. Where right now they're being taught by our, by our dear brother, Dr. Andrew Street. That matters. Look at Timothy's example to you. He was given the scriptures from an early age and he memorized them. He contemplated them. He meditated upon them. Do that. Pay attention to the scriptures as they are read to you. And when you're at school and you're living your life and questions and doubts occur to you, don't hold them inside yourself. Talk to your parents. Talk to those who love you, who, have, who, have, who are grounded in the faith. Search the scriptures together with them. And parents and people who love the kids around you in this church, like, don't pretend like you have the answers if you don't have them. But say to the kids, say to them, I will search the scriptures with you. We'll open the scriptures together and we'll find the answers here. And if you need help with that, we're here. Your priests are set aside for this reason that we might help you deepen in your faith through the study, the profound study of the holy scriptures. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Kids, search the scriptures. Give yourself to the teaching that has been given to you. So this godly lineage, y'all, it's immensely important. That's the way that the Holy Spirit works. Adults of all ages, you matter for the transmission of the faith. The Holy Spirit worked through Timothy's maternal line powerfully and against many odds. And let me tell you why. Because not only was Timothy raised in a town without a synagogue, not only did he have repeated exposure in a communal setting to the doctrines of the faith... He was also raised in a household with one believing parent and one unbelieving parent. Again, we know this from Acts 16. It tells us in Acts 16 that Timothy had a a mother who was a believer and his father was a Gentile, an unbelieving Gentile. Because of the mixed nature of that marriage, Timothy was actually not even circumcised as an infant. Even though his mother was Jewish. Jewish. And we know this again because Acts 16.3 says that Paul had him circumcised so that he might, like Paul, minister among both Jews and Gentiles. And yet the Holy Spirit worked through this lineage, through the faith of his mother and his grandmother, so that Timothy, being discipled by Paul, might become a living image of the fact that the dividing wall has been broken down between Jews and Gentiles. In Paul and in Timothy, we see powerfully illustrated the fact that in Christ, the dividing wall has been broken down between all ethnicities and all peoples. That all people have been born of one blood and have one common destiny and therefore there is no place for partiality in the church. Yeah. We learned that from Paul and from Timothy. The ground for which was prepared by these godly figures in their background that were able to transmit the faith to them through the, the teaching and the practices of that faith. So what Paul is saying to us here this morning, y'all, pay close attention to this. The human links in the chain of the faithful handing down of the gospel matter. In fact, they don't just matter, they're essential. They're essential to the transmission of the gospel. And Paul makes it clear that it's not just parents in this passage. He tells us it's not just Eunice and Lois that are essential for your coming to the faith and maintaining it, holding on to it. He says in verse 6, for this reason, in other words, out of regard to the faith of your mother and your grandmother. I want you to fan this gift of faith into flame which is yours through the laying on of my hands. I Paul have taught you and I have laid hands on you. And so you have received a gift of faith from me as well. The transmission has happened not just from Eunice and Lois, but from this relationship of discipleship between Paul and Timothy. Paul, when he, when he talks about laying on of hands, Paul is talking about, probably, the consecration of Timothy as a bishop. Because in Acts 16, again, it seems to imply that Timothy was already a Christian when Paul met him. So we would not be talking about the laying on of hands at baptism, but the laying on of hands at ordination. Timothy's ordination as a bishop. What does Paul say the gift is that he transmits to Timothy? Timothy. He says that by laying on of hands and by his teaching of the gospel, he's received the ministry of power and love and self-discipline. And what does that gift give to Timothy? It gives him the ability to be unashamed of Paul's suffering and unashamed of Christ's suffering and therefore of his own suffering for the gospel. Because through the suffering Christ has come life and immortality into the world. The destruction of death itself. Death has been robbed of his power to define us and to paralyze us with fear. And it is announced, that good news is announced through the proclamation of suffering servants. By Paul, by Timothy, by us. That is the gift that has been given to us by the faithful transmission of the gospel. Hebrews 2 goes so far as to say that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of His death and resurrection has liberated us from slavery to the fear of death. It no longer has the power to define us and therefore, aging has no power to define us. Death has no power to define us. The things of this world have no power to define us. We are free. The Word of God is not bound. Amen? Amen. Amen. Therefore, because of this gift, Timothy can preserve the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. He can guard the good deposit that's been entrusted by Paul himself to Timothy. Note how important that point is in this passage, that it is through Paul that this gift has been transmitted to Timothy. It's really important that we pay attention to these human links and that we see them as the site that the Holy Spirit is working. This gift of good tradition, now in scripture sometimes tradition is spoken of negatively, right? talk about the traditions of our our elders and and sometimes in negative terms, Jesus will talk about them in negative terms. But there is good tradition. This idea, this Greek word paradosis is really, really important because the faith must be handed on. It must be handed on faithfully. So there is good tradition. And it's these very human links through which the tradition is handed down that are the conduits through which the Holy Spirit works. I will go so far this morning as to say that those links are sacramental. The early fathers of the church used to talk about the church as the sacrament of Christ. We are the place within which the invisible gift of faith is made visible through these bonds through which the gospel is handed down. The testimony of these human links in the transmission of the gospel are utterly critical. And the early church universally recognized this. In the church's first great conflict with the heresy of Gnosticism, the way in which the church said, here's how we know the faithful transmission of the gospel and not this heresy of Gnosticism. By the way, Gnosticism is the heresy, if you don't know, that that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, that the body is evil, that the creation is evil, that that the truth is spiritual. Right in a way that excludes matter. But no, God is reconciling all things to us, including our embodied beings to, to himself in Jesus Christ. And the early church recognized this by pointing to the embodied relationships, bishop to bishop, the faithful transmission of the gospel from one person to another by the laying on of hands. In every city, they say, we can point to, we can point to this teacher and we can show publicly how this teacher goes back to the apostles. But lest you think... That the mere laying on of hands secures the good, the good tradition, the good transmission of the faith. Like it's a mechanical action that somehow magically conveys this. What is significant is that what is publicly announced and embodied in this community is in faithful continuity with the apostles. So when Irenaeus says, we can point in every city all the way back to the apostles, he says, the way in which you know that is that I Irenaeus was ordained by Polycarp and Polycarp, we know, taught the gospel and Polycarp was ordained by John and John was an apostle of Jesus Christ, a faithful witness. Do you get it? It's this faithful handing down of the gospel through the links of this community. That is what apostolic succession, which we believe in Anglicanism, is real and certifies the truth. That's what it's about. It's about the visibility of the truth. It's about a living tradition that's concretely embodied in people and communities throughout the ages, faithfully. That's how we know what the truth is. That's how we know how to read Scripture, even. That's how we know how to interpret the gospel for our lives. See, all the proof is in the pudding. Is the tradition that you claim to embody as a church a living tradition? Does it model and show forth the testimony of Christ crucified? Does Does it... does it break down the bondage between, that, that is set up between people? Does it break down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, between all the nations of the earth, between men and women and children and the elderly who can all find a home in the new community of faith? Is that what's being taught in your church? Is that what's being lived out and embodied in your church? These human languages are utterly indispensable, and they are the place where the Holy Spirit works. It's not the links themselves that are significant. It's the Holy Spirit working through those links. Okay, parents, let me address you for just a moment. Those who love the children here, let me me address you for a moment. These kids, they watch us. They want to see how we model our faith. I mean, look at Timothy, right? Timothy was steeped from his infancy in the scriptures, the teaching and the practices of the faith. The sociologist Christian Smith says, on the basis of interviewing over, over 2,000 American teenagers, he says that in parenting, we get what we are. I mean, that is frightening. I tremble at that <laughs> because Tish is laughing over here. <laughs> she lives with me. Uh, I tremble at that because I am impatient, and I'm angry, and I'm lazy, and I'm preoccupied, and I, I want, I, I you know, I get bored too easily, and, and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I suffer from all the same weaknesses that many of you do, and probably more. But I can't shy away from this fact. It is essential for we who are parents, for we who love the kids in this congregation, to teach the kids the scriptures and the doctrines of the faith and to model them, to embody them, and to pray for them. I mean, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Everyone must bear their own burdens, Paul says in Galatians 6, right? It means it's on us. It really is. It falls to us to proclaim the gospel, to teach the gospel. But he also says, this is a mercy, that we must bear one another's burdens. Church, through baptism, you are the family of God. And so you also bear a responsibility to raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Every time we have a baptism here at rest, which is like, what, like every other week now, right? I mean, (laughs) it's like... (laughs) <laughs> it's awesome I mean it's incredible and it shows that there is life and vitality we're all growing young right we're growing young by repentance and faith amen amen, amen. amen. alright but every time we have a baptism here at Rez we reaffirm our baptismal covenant to live and proclaim the gospel and we answer this question will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ and you all say I presume week after week we will amen Y'all, we have to fulfill these vows for one another. That's a real vow that you're taking. The great uh, Catholic saint, Thomas More, before he was executed, said, a man who takes a vow is holding himself in his own hands, and if he lets go, he need not expect to find himself again. That is serious, y'all. That is serious. We're taking vows to one another. We have to fulfill these vows to one another. The families in this church, the kids of this church, they need you, church, to be in relationship with them so that you can call them to greater faithfulness and fidelity to the gospel. I think about my friend Stephen Hebbard in this respect. Stephen is a, is a person who, for his job and with his life, takes care of the homeless, and he settles the homeless in homes. Before he got married um, uh, over a year, a little over a year ago, he said to us, as participating in the life of our family, he says, "You guys stabilize me." It stabilizes me, participating in the life of your family stabilizes me, but I hope to destabilize you. Praise God for Stephen calling us out of our native tendency towards selfishness and fear and turning inward and toward participation in this expansive vision of the gospel. I want that. Don't you want that? May we be people who stabilize and destabilize one another in Jesus Christ for the reconciliation of all things to God in Christ. Kids, let me invite you Come to the priests of this church. Come to the adults in this church. Come to your parents that you know and who are investing in you and ask them your questions. Bring your questions about the scriptures. Bring your questions about God to us. We promise we want to hear them. We want to search the scriptures with you. We are focusing right now as a church on the memorization of scripture. Really give yourself to that. Memorize the scripture and think about it and pray it out loud to God and let yourself and your desires be shaped by it. Let's know, let us know what you're learning and the questions that you have as you memorize the Word of God. All right, I want to point out one other thing before I close. I don't want to end on this exhortation to live faithfully because that can be bad news because we don't do it well. We don't do it rightly. We don't do it as we ought. What I want to end on is the tremendous power of God that is the engine and the source of the life that he exhorts us to live. The good news is that our standing in Christ and in his kingdom is neither established nor sustained by your hard work. It is not. As the 39 articles put it, our faith is a lively faith that always gives rise necessarily to good works. But our faith tolerates imperfection and failure because it is established by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We did not bring ourselves into this kingdom and we will only stay in it if God sustains us. The great saint of the church, the great doctor of the church, Augustine, throughout his confessions, he has a formula that he repeats. Grant what you command and command what you will. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying... I cannot do it. I cannot do what you command. I can't do it. But if you grant it to me, I can. Only by faith in Jesus Christ, only by the grace and mercy that is extended to you in Jesus Christ, will we approach this expansive vision of the Gospel, will we we become who we have been declared to be in Jesus Christ. Every new day is an opportunity and an invitation for repentance for us as a church. If you are discouraged today, ask God for help. If you have failed. Ask God for renewal and amendment of life, as our prayer of confession says. They are always, always on offer in Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You want to suffer well? Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As you go from here today, be aware not only of the fact that the Holy Spirit works through you, that these, these, these links, these human links in the tradition of Christianity really matter, that they are the place where the Holy Spirit works. That you are the hands and feet of God in this world. But be more aware of the reality of grace. Sin is great in you, but the grace of God is greater. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at Rezaustin.com.